Thank you for coming on to the show. I appreciate it. I know that we had some technical difficulties on Anchor, so I decided yeah. to do all of my, <laughs> I decided to do all of my interviews on Skype and then just upload it. Uh, okay, makes sense. Yeah. Plus it's accessible with voiceover, so that helps too. So but thank you so much for coming on today. Talk about you as a language coach, how you got started in languages, and how you created um, LearnSpanishConsalsa.com. I appreciate that. And so does my listeners, too. Because I have a lot of people from Latin America and Mexico and, and, and different parts of the world, especially Spain, too, who speak Spanish. And I'm like, oh, well, this would be good for me to have someone who has studied Spanish and learn Spanish, especially from an African-American side of things, because we don't have a lot of representation in the language learning community, like on an international level. Right. So I said, well, I, I, after seeing you at Women in Language this year, I was like, I need to get in contact with her and see if she would like to come and talk about her story on the show. Cool. Yeah, Women in Language was a fun event, too. I, I enjoyed that. <laughs> that was the first time I participated. So, my, me, too. Um, my first ever polyglot event, period. So, yeah, I, I enjoyed it. I, I, I got a lot out of it. I met a lot of cool people and um, did a lot of networking that way. I love how Kirsten and Lindsay and, and Shannon put that all together. I mean, because I guess Lindsay just thought about it while she was on her year-long trip in Mexico. That's how it came out about, so, yeah. But, um, yeah, so we can, we can start. Um, usually my number one question is, how did you get, how did you get started, you know, in this whole language learning journey? Um, well, so are you recording now or are you going to do, oh, yeah. like, how do you usually do your intro? Do you just like kind of start and get into it or? Yeah. Yeah. We're recording right now. Okay. So how did I get into language learning? Um, I can give you the long version or the short version. <laughs> um, initially I, I think I did like most people in the U S I took, um, a foreign language in school. So for us here, it's middle school. So I probably was around 12 years old. They have you pick a foreign language. And um, where I'm from, it was usually either French or Spanish. And I just chose Spanish. Obviously, uh, people said, oh, that's easier, you know. And you know, it was something that I had to take in school. And I really didn't see the benefit of language learning until I was an adult, because at that time, the way they teach language in school is very, I would say more from an academic perspective. It's not very useful. Um, I would say it was almost like a, a cultural appreciation course, right? It's like, hey, there's other people that speak other languages and they have verbs and nouns and here's how to conjugate some of those verbs. But it wasn't, there was nothing conversational. Um, there, there wasn't really um, an emphasis on how to communicate with real people. So I think that the education system in general, just especially here in the U.S., is just really lacking when it comes to foreign language education, unfortunately. So at the time, I had exposure to Spanish, but I really didn't see any benefit until, you know, the first time I decided to take a trip out of the country, I decided to go to Panama. So I was thinking, you know, oh, it'd be nice. I'll see the Panama Canal. I've never left the U.S. before. And I said, ah, you know, I took Spanish in, you know, middle school and high school, so it should be fine. And when I got to immigration um, in the airport in Panama City, I realized, like, I had no clue what was being said, right? Like, even just answering the basic questions they ask you, like, where are you staying? You know, next person in line, like, very basic things. I had no idea what they were saying. And I felt like, super humbled. I was like, oh man, this is bad, right? I thought I knew some Spanish. And um, that really was, I think, my first experience that made me realize that my exposure to Spanish in an academic setting wasn't very helpful. So right. 
so that's really what kind of started me to to kind of pick up with, okay, I'm going to learn Spanish for real this time, and I'm going to figure out what I need to do to get there. Now, did you have like your normal, you know, resources? I mean, people use Duolingo or Mango or Memories or Pimsleur, Michelle Thomas, Aussie Mail, Teach Yourself, Colloquial Languages, or did you just, you know, okay, I'm going to go to a library, I'm going to pick up a book, I'm going to use music. What kind of helped you like restart your learning process of Spanish? Well, I would say it started with travel because so Panama wasn't my last trip out of the country, obviously. So that was sort of my first exposure to people really speaking Spanish in the real world, like an actual country where Spanish is the language that's because that's a lot different than when you're just sort of, you know, and if if the community language is English or whatever your native language is, um, it's very easy to fall back on what you know. So right. being in an environment where everyone spoke Spanish and there wasn't the option of switching to English was the first time I really had to use the language. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, from there, around the same time, I started taking, um, I actually started with Zumba classes at the gym. So I started going to the gym. And there was this class that I always see it was super packed there was this really short girl in the front with long hair and she'd be up on the stage and like the room was dark and the room was always packed and I was like what is going on in there so I like started going um like almost like every week and then I started listening to the music so Zumba is sort of like a group exercise class that's based on like international dance but right. a lot of the music was Latin music and right. the instructor was Latina and she would always like sort of incorporate the body movements and everything into the the class and the workout so it was a lot of fun right so it was like a way of working out that was just super fun and so I started listening to some of the music and from there I thought oh maybe I can dance salsa like I can yeah I'm doing Zumba like sure I can dance salsa (laughs) which I found out very quickly was not the case so um, I started taking salsa classes and I started listening to the music and I just wanted to know what the words were eventually I was like well what are they talking about you know what am I singing along to so that's Really how I started was, you know, just falling in love with the music, with salsa, with the culture, meeting Mm -hmm. people when I was taking classes and then just starting to make it a part of my social life. So it got to a point where I would go out dancing, you know, four or five nights a week. Um, And while the entire dance community isn't Latino, there were several Spanish speakers in the community. And of course, the music is in Spanish. So it just started to become more a part of my my life day to day. So that's really how I started was just, you know, looking for song lyrics, translating them. Um, trying to understand what was being said. And that, I think, was the thing that got me to seeing, like, this can actually be fun. Like, I don't have to go to the library because I'd right. already done that in school. Like, I'd had grammar textbooks before and I still couldn't speak Spanish. So I wasn't going to, you know, do that again. So I just thought, ah, this can actually be fun. Like, I'm just, I'm learning um, and I'm naturally sort of picking it up from just doing what I love instead of trying to force it. You know, I can actually relate to that because I took Spanish at university when I was in community college in Cleveland about 19 years ago. And trust me, Spanish was not the language I wanted to take. I wanted to take French or Italian or Russian and the east side of the eastern campus didn't offer those classes. You either had to go downtown or you had to go on the west side, which took about two buses. So I said, okay, I'll just stick with Spanish. I didn't realize I was good at the grammar, but I was, and I found music. It wasn't that I wanted to speak the language so much. It was, I liked the music and the food and the people. So I gravitated towards that a little bit more when I was doing Spanish um, at university. Now I will say, I had a friend that was better with the vocabulary and I was better with the grammar. So I was able to correct you if you made mistakes grammatically, orally, but because he was around other people, he was able to tell you what was going on in a soap opera, in a telenovela, for example. I couldn't do that because I didn't, I I wasn't living on the same side of town where he had Latina people speaking to him all the time. So um, I think for me, Spanish was, I was attracted to the cultural elements of Spanish more so than I was 
I want to, I want to have, you know, a two hour long conversation with someone from Mexico and have a headache afterwards, um, <laughs> which I did. I actually did have a two hour conversation last year with someone from, from Mexico. And, and I, you know, you don't realize how fluent you are in a language until after you have to be forced to speak it. Right. And I mean, there were words, there were basic words like movie theater, words that I wasn't using every day. I didn't know the word. I couldn't remember the words for them, but I was able to supplement those words with other words to get my point across. And someone said, you realize you're fluent? Now, mind you, this is the first time in, oh, I don't know, probably about 15 years I had spoken any Spanish. But I lived with a, a host family in California for 10 months, and they were from Mexico. So I, I got Spanish from a passive um, way of, of learning. Uh, they speak English to me, but they speak Spanish to each other. And my Spanish was, you know, elementary. But I was still able to understand everything that they said, slang and all, because I, that's all I heard day in and day out. Um, I'm just curious. Um, when you were like in Panama, I mean, you know, evidently it was probably a culture shock because of all the, you know, you spent all this time learning something and you come to find out it, it wasn't, the stuff they taught wasn't useful. Were you still able to, you know, pick up, you know, phrases or words or while you were um, initially? No, I don't. At first, no, I wasn't. I mean, I think um, I was able to have some conversations when I was there, some very basic conversations. But I think what I quickly realized was, um, you know, the way people speak in the real world is far different than what's presented in normal Spanish courses. So, um, and especially in the region of Panama that I visited, people spoke pretty fast. And in fact, like they you know, it was almost like a contest. I always kind of laugh. It's like, I feel like sometimes Spanish speakers, like they just want to speak the fastest Spanish. Like, I don't, I don't know why it's like a competition. It's like, Oh, we speak really fast. No, we speak faster than they do. And I'm just like, okay. Like, <laughs> like I thought the point was to understand people. So like, it was just funny because I, I heard uh, people from where I was, they said, Oh, we speak faster than the people that live on the other part of the country and all this kind of thing. So, um, I started to get exposed to different dialects of Spanish and different accents. And then I realized, you know, like you mentioned your experience with Mexico, um, Spanish in Mexico was far different than it is in a place like Cuba or República Dominicana, which where a lot of the music that I was listening to was from. So even the vocabulary that I was learning, uh, I started to find out was actually very specific to those regions. You know, I even, you know, I kind of joke about this. Like I know one time I went to visit Dominican Republic and I went to order a drink, like a smoothie, you know, and I ordered una batida de parcha. And mm-hmm. the guy just looked at me like I had four heads. And I was like, I know what this word means. So it's like a passion fruit smoothie. It's like my favorite fruit in the planet. So I was like, parcha. And he looked at me because I was in Dominican Republic. He's like, ah, chinola. And I was like, okay. Well, I mean, he understood what I said. <laughs> but it was just like something simple, like the name of our fruit is completely different. I mean, there's no, I mean, those words don't even sound at all alike, but it's the exact same fruit. So I started to learn that, you know, the regions, the countries really make a difference, which is why right. I always tell people, like, if you're going to learn Spanish, Spanish is not like this generic boilerplate language. People, will, I think in the language learning community, people think Spanish is easy or it's like, oh, you know, it's one of, it's, it's, there's not that many words you have to learn. It's similar to English and all these kinds of like myths out there about learning Spanish. But in actuality, depending on what country you're in, the language can sound very different. The vocabulary is very different. Even to have a basic conversation that you think, oh, well, you know, there's a, there's a few differences, but you can understand someone. I mean, Sometimes native speakers have, have trouble understanding someone like if they're from Dominican Republic and they're talking to someone from Chile or Mexico, they still run into those issues um, with understanding each other. So I think it's a mistake to sort of assume Spanish is easy and Spanish is Spanish. Like I think you should pick, you know, if you're going to be exposed to people from Mexico and that's who's in your community, then you should listen to content from Mexico or you should talk to people from Mexico. If you are exposed more to Caribbean culture, like I am through the music and through salsa, then it doesn't really make sense for me to do a lot with Mexican Spanish because it's an accent I'm not familiar with. They have slang that I don't really care about because I just don't encounter many people from that area in my day to day. So 
I think it's critically important to understand the culture, like you talked about, like engaging with the culture, understanding the people and really knowing where they're from and what they're about. Because otherwise you're just sitting there with your nose in a book and, you know, you're not really interacting and really getting the richness of the culture and the benefit of learning the language, which is really to communicate and connect with people. Right. I mean, because I'm from Ohio, so we don't have a lot of, you know, Mexicano y Americana personales, you know, here in, in Cleveland. But we have a lot of Puerto Ricanos y Puerto Ricanya. So my godmother was Puerto Rican. So I, I learned some, you know, Puerto Rican Spanish. And my teacher was from Mexico originally. And then um, I had another teacher that was Mexican. And then I had another one that was Mexican, German, and American. You know, so she spoke English, German, and Spanish. So I had a lot of that. And then I had a tutor that was African-American and he spoke fluent Spanish, Italian, and French. I mean, he was so good at the languages. He was writing comic books in the languages. Wow. Yeah. You know, with illustrations and everything. I was like, and, um, but I learned a lot, you know, I talked to a lot of different people from different Spanish-speaking countries on WhatsApp. So I have friends from like Argentina and Ecuador and Cuba and Peru and Chile and Colombia and Spain. And so I'm able to understand them, I guess, because I, I had a variety of different people I would, you know, I would socialize with. But you are right. And Ollie Richard says this too. He was in um, Argentina. And he said, you know, um, he had to learn certain slang and certain vocabulary words for that area. You know, I mean, he even went to Mexico for two weeks, him and Jan van der Ar a couple years ago, and they filmed their little experience. And of course, he was better at Spanish than Jan was because I don't think Jan had enough exposure to enough people, especially, you know, if you're talking about Norte Americana and Tances, they, it, it, they're over in Europe, so they have Spain. And Ollie was able to function very well in Mexico. Jan, not as much. They literally had to separate in order to get some exposure. Because that was their whole thing was a, a mission to learn um, um, get more Spanish practice for those 10 days. And Ollie got more after he left with Jan as opposed to being them being together like 24-7. So, but he was able to function. Hello? Yeah, I think depending on how proficient you are, you know, in Spanish, you'll find it a little bit easier to figure out those gaps that you have and, and things that you don't understand. But I think, you know, in some cases, like you mentioned, like uh, Puerto Rico. Um, yeah, I mean, I have friends that just really, you know, even if they're native Spanish speakers and someone from Puerto Rico talks to them, they really struggle um, with right. understanding them sometimes. So it really does does um, depend on what the dialect is. And I've been um, on, on my podcast on one episode, I actually interviewed a couple, they have a tour company that does tours in, in Cuba. And mm -hmm. one of the things that, um, so the, the wife, she speaks much more Spanish than the husband. It's like the couple that runs the company. Mm -hmm. And he said that he would find that he had to go out on his own to get more exposure to Spanish uh, because his wife is fluent and he would always kind of rely on her um, right. on her language skills, but he started to get more confident as he would go out on his own. But then one thing is interesting. He said, after being in Cuba so much, when they went to Mexico, he was like relieved. He goes, Oh my God, everyone here speaks so slow. I understand everything. <laughs> so I think it's interesting, like just the perception of, of different dialects and what you're familiar and comfortable with that, you know, sometimes if you start with one of the ones that's seen as, as more difficult, right? Like, cause I think even Spaniards are known for speaking quite quickly. 
Right. That when you're exposed to like Mexican Spanish, it's like, oh, okay, well, they, they have a different rhythm to the way they speak. And maybe it's a little bit easier than sort of the fast pace that they speak in Spain. So yeah, it's really interesting. But it, but when you're first starting out learning Spanish, you don't know any of that, right? You just, someone right. says, learn Spanish and you download an app. You're like, oh, I'll just, you know, like you said, Duolingo and all this stuff, you know, and I tried, I think just about everything. Once I got online um, and started looking at song lyrics, I was like, well, let me see if there's something I can I can find to to help me learn. And um, yeah, I think if there was any program out there that had the name Spanish in it at the time, and it's, there's a lot more now, this was years ago, um, I just downloaded everything. I went to the library and got everything I could find. I really focused on audio programs because I'm an auditory learner. Um, right. Especially with music, I was very conscious of sound. So I, I really wasn't one to sit with a book like that. That didn't really do anything for me. So um, yeah, I just listened to, to everything I could. And what I quickly found was, even with the online resources, um, I'm not going to name any names, but you know, some are better than others and different things work for different people. So it's not important. But what I found is that, you know, there was still either a focus on Spanish from Spain, right. which is a very small population of Spanish speakers. I mean, obviously Spanish is from yeah. Spain, but there's other languages in Spain as well. And, yeah. you know, Latin America is huge. And this is, you know, I live in, in the Western hemisphere. So there's so many different countries here and such a rich cultural history and heritage. The fact that, you know, I was finding programs that would still just focus on Spanish from Spain, where a lot of the words are different, the accents different, the culture's different, right. or it would be, you know, sometimes people would focus on Mexico because Mexico is huge. But unfortunately for me, that's not, that wasn't helpful because that's right. not what I'm exposed to. So it took me years and all to kind of figure all this out. But once I did, I, I started realizing I had to create resources for those dialects that are underrepresented. So um, I created a course for Puerto Rican Spanish, for Dominican Spanish, um, for Cuban Spanish, because I found that these are the places people want to visit. These right. are the things that people are interested in exploring. These are the cultures that people love. They, they have the best food. They have the best music. They have the best dance. But yet they're being completely ignored right. <laughs> from a language learning perspective as if it's some illegitimate form of Spanish, which it isn't. This right. is just the way that they speak. There's a different dialect in the Caribbean. And it's just it's that culture is actually being exported to the entire Spanish speaking world. That's the music that everyone listens to. Even I had an exchange student from Spain and she was listening to bachata music, which is from the Dominican Republic um, and is extremely popular there. So this is the culture that we're exposed to through mass media, through the Internet, through just um, when, when you really do get exposed to and interested in the Spanish language, you get more exposed to Latino culture. And that was not being represented in any of the language courses that I was taking. So I would find a huge disconnect. And I feel like I wasted a lot of time because I'm learning this very formal or very European Spanish. But yet when I would go talk to people, it like the way even that a greeting sounds completely different. You know, like in, in Cuba, they say, ah, sere, or they say, um, like in Dominican Republic, they'll say, que lo que? you know, like, I couldn't even get past a greeting because I didn't understand what people were saying because it was never shared in any of those courses or any of those resources. So um, I definitely think it's a real disconnect uh, between sort of an academic approach and the way people really speak Spanish day to day. You know, it's interesting you say that because as you were talking about that, I'm sitting there thinking in my head, like, I'm so glad I, learned, I listened to music outside of class. Now, I mean, I was a dedicated learner. So I would spend two and a half hours class time. That's two, you know, one fifteen hour and 15 minutes per class in the beginning. And then I would spend another 10 hours with tutors, two hours a day on Spanish. And of course, I'm an auditory learner myself. So I just had Como Se Dice um, book and I had the CDs that came with it. I had no internet. I had nothing. I did have Santana, Enrique Iglesias, Shakira, Jennifer Lopez, Christina Aguilera, and Ricky Martin CDs. So I did a lot of listening to that. Uh, Telemundo, Univision. I used to watch this show called El Coto de Pueblo from Mexico. And they had this guy, Manuel Weiss, um, um, uh, Senior Weiss, uh, Manuel Franco. 
he was half Mexican, half Caucasian um, judge, and they had the the bailiff who was this black guy named Michael with the Spanish book in his hand, you know, opened up because, you know, he didn't really know Spanish or all like that. And so they would, you know, have court cases or whatever. And I actually got more out of watching that for like a half an hour, an hour, than, you know, looking inside of a textbook all day, you know. So for me, I found the fun of Spanish more so. And I, I notice, like, for a lot of people who are learning, you know, Spanish, the first thing I get is, well, do I need a grammar block? No. What do you want to do? I want to speak. Okay. <laughs> no. You want to listen. You want to do a lot of listening. You want to listen to as much Spanish and different varieties as possible. Like, I have friends from... Colombia, friends from Argentina that I speak with on WhatsApp. And I understand everything that they're saying. Yeah. Uh, and I always tell my students, because I do teach e, uh, um, um, English as a foreign language. So a lot of my students are from Latin America, uh, Mexico, uh, Argentina, Lima, uh, Colombia for example, um, in like Eastern Europe and Asia and Africa, Morocco, Egypt, different places of that nature. And so a lot of times they'll sit there and say, well, I have a grammar book. I was like, well, what kind of books do you like to read? What do you like? You know, because if you're going to uh, learn something, you have to have some type of a connection to it. Like there's a reason that you want to learn this for, you know, is it for work? Are you moving to an English-speaking country or a Spanish-speaking country? You know, which country are you moving to? You know, what's your, what's your small goal, your first goal? You know, okay, do you want to be able to order food or know what's on a menu? Or, you know, something that's going to be practical for the students, you know, while they're learning the language because they just think that you need they need to know everything um every word in in as english speakers ourselves we don't even know every word in our own language so for you know in regards to spanish in general since you found, you know, the music and the dancing and the cultural elements to be the, the kickoff point for you learning, you know, really embracing Spanish as a whole, especially the, the Sota Americana side and the, you know, Latina Americana comunidad in particular. Um, would you say... that the music in the in the dancing for you was were you able to essentially I would say did you want to know it all or did you like have a plan I don't I didn't really approach it with the with a plan necessarily and I think you know what you're saying about people not having goals that I've run across that a lot too with my coaching clients I mean usually when people say oh, I want to learn a language they just say well I want to be fluent that's everybody's first goal I mean right. you don't know that much about language learning when you're not um, an experienced language learner that's all you can really come up with because you really don't know any better um, and I find that that's a stage that people have to work through on their own um, I used to really try to focus people on um, you know no you really need to pick a goal but I think that in the beginning that's all a person can wrap their head around they really do feel like I need to learn everything because there's so much that they don't know but right. the approach that I take is more of you know, taking people through one skill at a time instead of focusing on, you know, okay, you've got to have this this grand goal or this very specific goal. Although, you know, as as you learn, you realize that you've got to make, you know, progress in small steps and, and really learn like one thing at a time. Right. Um, I think for me, I realized that my biggest lack was in my ability to communicate in a conversation. 
mm-hmm. which I think is where a lot of people end up, even if they've been studying languages for years. I mean, I can't tell you the amount of people I've talked to that, you know, we can have whole conversations about language learning, but then when I switch to speak to them in Spanish, it's like deer in headlights. Like, so there's a lot of people who are very good learners of languages, but not very good speakers of those languages or communicators. So I think that that, what, that's what I realized is what I was lacking. So um, focusing a lot on audio content and, um, and on the music really helped me tune my ear to understand Spanish. And I also realized that another benefit of that in the long run was that it also improved my pronunciation, which I didn't even realize until I started having conversations. and I was still very shy about it. Um, I'm naturally introverted anyway, so I like to kind of put myself out there and speak a language that's not mine. When I know I have an accent, I felt very self-conscious about it. But I remember, you know, I was um, having a conversation with on Skype with a tutor, and I was in this cafe, and they were kind of closing down for the night, and... I guess this guy kind of heard me, you know, having this conversation, but he only heard my end because, you know, he's just working in the restaurant and um, they started to close up and I was leaving because my my um, my lesson was over and he just started talking to me. He's like, oh, so so you you speak Spanish. That's your native language. Right. And I was like looking at him like what? Like <laughs> I was like, no, I'm just learning. So I'm like completely like, you know, self-deprecating. No, no, not at all. Me. Not, I don't know what I'm saying, you know. And then, you know, and, and he wasn't a native Spanish speaker, so I just figured this guy doesn't know what he's talking about. You know, he's from the Middle East somewhere. He doesn't know what, you know, what Spanish is supposed to sound like. Um, but then I would have friends that are native Spanish speakers or just people I would I would um, have conversations with mm-hmm. that would say, like, no, you you don't have an American or a gringo accent. Like, you, you, you sound like you're maybe from Central America or some people tell me I sound like I'm from the Caribbean just because obviously that's what I'm exposed to and some of the ways that I talk and sometimes my mannerisms, my personality, it's, it's like very Caribbean. But um, mm-hmm. yeah, I mean, I take that as a compliment now, you know, but I didn't, at first I had no idea what I was doing. I was just doing what I love. That was following my passion. I wasn't trying to approach it in a very systematic way. Um, but of course, like with everything, the more you learn, the more you learn what you don't know, right? So I started to, to realize what those gaps were. And then I started taking more seriously and, and be more um, disciplined about my approach and, and go, okay, well, this song is talking about uh, just one word or phrase keeps coming up or, you know, and then I would realize what the pattern was. And then I would find out that that pattern was a grammar concept that I needed to learn. Um, I approached it naturally. So it wasn't like, oh, let me get this book and learn every grammar concept in the book. It was as I would come across language in the real world and I would find it useful, then I would focus on that thing to study because now I have a motivation. I want to know what this song means. What is that word? Or they can, they're talking about something that happened in the 1600s, right? So I need to learn some vocabulary about history, but I also need to learn the past tense a lot better because that's the whole song is in the past tense, right? So it was very much about what was useful and interesting, which I think is the only way to learn. Like if your attention is not there and you're not focused, Right. you are not going to retain what you're learning because you're not going to focus and give it your your attention, right? Like you've got to be engaged on some level. And um, yeah, music did that for me. And But it, it did get me to a point where I did become disciplined and then I became more aware of what resources worked for me and what resources did not work um, and what, what things were a waste of time and what things um, weren't were uh, much more beneficial um, use of my time learning languages, especially too, because when I was learning, you know, you mentioned you, you're a dedicated language learner. I mean, I was pursuing my master's degree in information systems at the time. I was um, working full time. Um, I was trying to have a social life. And then a little later I had my son. So like I was busy. Like I, did, <laughs> I didn't have time to sit for four hours and listen to watch a movie or like, you know, over and over and listen to stuff. Cause I would just zone out, right? Like if I didn't understand what was being said, I would completely zone out. Um, so that, and, and that's what I find too about music is like songs are pretty short, right? Like right. watching a movie is a very daunting task for a beginner language learner. I know some people say, Oh, you just watch movies and maybe you'll sort of pick it up eventually, but that's not really to me very beneficial. It's a very inefficient way to learn. Um, right. music is like, you know, a lot of songs are like three minutes long, right? That's like the average, I guess for most right. songs and you can pay attention for three minutes. Right? right. And I even tell people, break it down from there. Just do the chorus, then do the first verse, like do it section by section. Cause you know, these days we don't have long attention spans. Like no one's going to sit and read an entire book anymore. Like people just 
our, our attention is grabbed and so many things competing for our attention. We have these more complicated and complex lives. So we need things that we can take in bite sizes. So that's another thing I found with music is that, you know, I've got folks I work with where they can just sit on their lunch break and they can get through um, a verse of a song or maybe get through the whole song, depending on how complicated it is. And they've got their vocabulary to study for the week. And they've got, you know, a, a new concept that they weren't exposed to before. They've learned something about Latino culture that they didn't know before. So it's really you know, it's really efficient. There's so much richness in there in that content that, right. I mean, then you also have a new song to dance to, right? <laughs> so oh, yeah. um, there's so much in it that you really don't have to force it. Like, I feel like a lot of programs, they'll say, okay, we're going to teach you grammar. Now we're going to teach you vocabulary. And now we're going to teach you about the culture. And we'll give you a paragraph about how they eat paella in Spain and how in Mexico they have the Day of the Dead, right? It'll be this footnote but it's not integrated into the course and that's not how people live and that's not how you learn. So right. like using music, you've got all of it right there. It's like right in front of you. You've got the rhythm, you've got uh, the, the vocabulary, you've got the culture. You don't have to force it. It's just there for you. And it's also native Spanish speakers using the language in the real world. They're making this content for other Spanish speakers. So it's not like you have to like, oh, let's contrive something. Let's come up with something. It's all there. So it just it's just so much easier. Um, you don't have to block out, you know, five hours in your schedule. You don't have to force yourself to like something that you don't like. Um, because I always tell people, start with songs that you like if you're going to learn with music. Don't force yourself to learn a song that you hate. Like, that's not the point, right? Um, you'll find something in that. And the fact that you're interested in it and that you like it will make it 10 times more useful than trying to force yourself to listen to something that you don't like for the sake of grammar or vocabulary or whatever it is. So I think that that's really key. Um, and it, it's also a key to motivation, right? Because motivation is one of those things in language learning that, you know, I think is one of the most important parts because it's so easy to get discouraged. Oh, wow, I didn't have time to study this week. Or, oh, I had this conversation. I didn't understand anything. Or, oh, I keep making this stupid mistake. I keep saying this word wrong, right? It's so easy to just go forget it. I'm going to go live my life. Like I was fine before, <laughs> you know, like I don't need to learn this language unless you're really learning it for like work or something like that, or because you're moving. Like a lot of us are learning because we have a passion for languages. So right. it gets discouraging. Um, so to have that, you know, like at the end of the day, I always tell people like, it's so much more fun to be able to turn on a song. Like after you've worked all day and you're like, oh, but I really had set this goal to learn Spanish, but I don't feel like it. But once you turn on the song and you start kind of grooving with it and you're listening to it, you're having a good time, it relaxes you and right. it gets your mind in a prime state for learning. So it's really um, transformative and it also helps with your memory, right? Because like everyone wants to memorize vocabulary, right? We're always looking for memory right. hacks and like how do I shortcut to this and fluent in 25 seconds or whatever. So there's like all these like gimmicks of like, oh, how do we learn more faster and just cram it into our brains, Right. But I think with music, like most of us remember, you know, like I always bring up the example of the alphabet song, right? right. And the, the rhythm of it or the, the lullabies you may have heard when you were a baby or the most popular song in your senior year of high school or the song that you listened to that time you were driving to the beach with your friends. Like these things are in our memory because they're emotional, right? right. And emotion, music, rhythm and memory are all tied together. So why not take advantage of it and use it to enhance your memory with language learning instead of trying to force and cram stuff into your head and make it interesting and, you know, whatever. It's just it's just natural, you know. So I find in, in music also helps you connect with people, especially in Latin America. I think, um, in, I mean, every culture has its own, like, sort of music and, and different arts. But in Latin America especially, I find that people really connect through food and through music, right? So if you're in a gathering with friends and, you know, everyone's serving food or, you know, you're kind of all like together and, and songs come on and like music comes on, like you kind of, everyone's sort of like connecting over because, oh, this is the song that my mom used to play. And, oh, this is that famous song, you know, from Mexico that everyone knew back in the eighties or whatever it is, right? Like people just connect with um, the music. And if you don't know what that is, you can't be a part of that conversation. Right. Yeah. Obviously, you didn't have the same life experience, but you can at least connect with the music and understand what it means to the people that you're trying to connect with. So I think it really just kind of gives you an advantage to join in a conversation that otherwise would be completely shut out to you, no matter how fluent you are. 
You know, it's funny you say that because I have this habit of when I'm learning a language, I like to cook, and I'm sure you've seen my pictures of food. <laughs> so I like to cook. So I will find something like a dessert or an entree to make from the country for which I am learning the language. And then I'll make it, I'll buy all the ingredients, and then I'll make it. I'll find it in English, and then I'll make it from an English recipe. And then I'll find the ingredients in the target language, and I'll learn the vocabulary and what those ingredients are. So when I'm making it the next time, you know, I, first of all, I'm learning the vocabulary and the measurements and all that, you know, and what, what I would need to be able to prepare this, this dish. Um, I did that with Russian. I made borscht and I made uh, Olivier salad. And when I made it, I took a picture of it like I always do, posted it up on Facebook, and people went crazy. All my Russian friends were like, wow, I didn't know you could cook like that. That's good borscht, you know, because I wanted to make sure I made it right, you know. And, and my friends who were there, it was gone. As soon as I put it out, the whole thing was gone. I was lucky to even get some. So, you know, they make Olivier salad, which is like potato salad. And it has like peas, broccoli, carrots, eggs, potatoes, Vienna sausages, and mayonnaise. But I don't eat eggs, so I don't put the eggs in there. So I put everything else in there. And they make this for like New Year's Eve. Um, so this is when they have it. Is on New Year's Eve. Well, Chanel liked it so much, I made it for every holiday. So my friends would ask me, can you make a lemonade salad? Sure. <laughs> so now I'm learning how to make, I want to make pascotis and cannolis because I'm studying Italian. And I want to make some French dessert because of, you know, my love of France. And then I made some Mediterranean dessert that required rose water, you know, in the recipe. You actually had to go to the florist. You actually had to get real rose water. And so, and then it had saccharin and all that and whatnot. And I, I made this and my friends tasted it. And they were like, this is really good. And I took a picture of it and everybody's like, that looks so good. And I, that, I find those types of connections with the language to be so important. And like I, I tell my friends <clears throat> all the time, <coughs> excuse me, who is studying English, you know, you wanna learn American English, but you fail to realize that everybody in the US speaks English differently. So if you're in an African American community, for instance, and you're, you're, you're dad's in the middle somewhere, Okay, well, black people speak differently in Cleveland than they do in Houston than they do in the West Coast. So far, you know, because there's accents and, you know, different slang and so forth and so on. And so uh, I actually had this guy, this Russian guy, asked me, could I teach him Ebonics? Oh, wow. Yeah, I'm like, wait a minute. I don't even know Ebonics. I'm black and I don't know. No. <laughs> you don't want to know Ebonics. And he was like, why not? I'm like, because do you want to get a job? <laughs> he was like, yeah, you don't want to get a job with that. I guarantee you. <laughs> and we had to laugh about it because he really thought this was, you know, I guess he wanted to really get invested in African-American culture. And I'm like, that ain't how you want to start off. I was like, because a lot of black people don't speak like that. Well, I mean, you know, I think that's just an awareness too. And, you know, it's really interesting because as I, um, as I travel, like I mentioned, I think just the whole issue of race in Latin America is like a whole other, uh, that, that's like a whole other show topic. But I think one thing that I've realized is that especially with some of the dialects from the Caribbean, I think that people look at it as, 
oh, they don't speak proper Spanish, right? Because they cut off some of the words, they speak kind of fast, the melody and the rhythms that they speak with are a little bit different. Right. So, and I really push back against that because, you know, this is just their culture. This is where they're from. It's a legitimate part of uh, Latin America. It's a legitimate part of the Spanish language, just because they don't speak the way that maybe... I don't, I don't know. I don't, I don't even know. Cause I don't think there's a standard or neutral Spanish. So I don't know what people are right. expecting, but it's something I really push back against, which again, why I like developing the, the courses for Caribbean Spanish, you know, Dominican Republic, they speak different than they do in Cuba. They speak different than they do in Puerto Rico and people kind of just lump them all together. You know, vocabulary is completely different. Like I mentioned earlier, I don't even think I've, I even said like where the word parcha was from. Parcha is actually from Puerto Rico because that was the first place I visited when I had passion fruit. And that was the word that I learned because I had learned basically a lot of Puerto Rican Spanish. So when I went to Dominican Republic, I just assumed, well, Dominican Republic isn't that far from Puerto Rico. They should understand me. And they did. But they made a point to say, here, we call it Chinola. People are proud of their culture and where they're from. So I think that some of it is ignorance in the beginning, like when you don't know and not not ignorance in a derogatory way, but just in a way of, you know, you don't know what you don't know. Right. (laughs) So I think that I don't think it's coming from a bad place, but I do think in any language that you learn, you've got to be aware of the degree of formality. Right. And I think that um, that's the reason for for that is. Like you mentioned, if you do want to get a job and you learn in an academic setting, that's probably the best way to learn, right? Because you're only concerned or at least initially concerned with with formal communication. But when you want to connect with people and your reason for learning is more informal, and even if you want to get a job, like you're going to have to go to lunch at some point. You're going to have to talk to your coworkers or go to a happy hour. So you still have to learn no matter what language, um, in what context. You've got to learn a difference between formal and informal. And a lot of languages, Spanish included, have it baked into the grammar, right? Like right. you don't address someone formally with the same way that you would um, in a family or a friend, right? Right. That's the whole difference between usted and, and so in, in Argentina, like vos or tú. So you've got these different ways to address people that are baked into the language. So I think it's important that you're aware of that regardless of where you are, that, you know, even with... Um, the Dominican Spanish course, we talk a lot about, um, and I have, of course, native speakers from those areas doing that because I am not Dominican, contrary to popular belief. <laughs> People say I can pass for Dominican sometimes. Um, but I think it's interesting that, you know, even as you're learning the dialect, you've got to learn which words are for use at home or with friends and family and which words you would use in a meeting. Like, so earlier I said, oh, in the Dominican Republic, they say, que lo que? Or in Cuba, they say, ah, seré. Or something like that to say what's up. Right. Well, you wouldn't say that if you're going to a job interview. You wouldn't walk into the job interview. Like you wouldn't do it in English. Go, hey, what's up? What's going on? I'm here for this job. Like you're not going to do that. So being aware of that is really important. But I think also part of language learning is really you've not only got to learn grammar and vocabulary and all these regional cultural differences, but you've also got to figure out you in that language, right? Like I don't know about you, Chanel, but I find for me, like as I travel or go different places or as I'm communicating in Spanish or even when I was learning Portuguese and I did my little Portuguese mission, like my personality is actually a little bit different <laughs> in different languages. And I've got to learn how to communicate like my sense of humor or my, you know, when I want to be serious or when, I, when I'm really interested in a subject, like those are all different modes, right? So I've got to learn me in those languages like how is Tamara in Spanish when she's having a good time or how is Tamara in Spanish when she's trying to be serious or when when I'm talking to my son and I'm trying to tell him you know to do something right like I have a different tone so you've really got to get your personality through in those languages and it can be hard right like I think one of the hardest things to translate besides music right is like humor right like when you're trying to tell a joke in another language like come on like it's really hard and then knowing what's culturally appropriate to joke about and there's so many layers to it so I think you've really got to be aware of that and that's something you're going to learn over time you know and you get to make mistakes and have fun with it like I always say don't take yourself too seriously which is another reason why Spanish con salsa I really love that we use music because it's like you just naturally have fun like even if somebody is really stressed out and I had this um, we had an activity that we were doing in the community. Um, we're doing like a challenge right now. Mm-hmm. And one of the activities was a listening comprehension challenge. 
So I had everybody kind of go listen to a clip of a song and just like transcribe it, right? Just to write out what they heard. Um, and it's just like a way to train your ear, right? Very short clip. And I had people kind of, you know, they were all commenting like, oh, I got this one wrong. Oh, I should get a half point for this because, you know, I, I heard this word differently or I missed this one letter. And I said to them like, it's a song, right? It's not life and death. We're not translating for the UN. No one's going to start a war, right? Like this is just something for you to practice and to learn and have fun. But then they kind of got to it. So I had one person, I was just actually looking at it before we got on the call and she posted in our Facebook or we have a a private Facebook group and she posted, I found the song that the clip was from. And she's like now dancing and listening to it, you know? So I think that we take ourselves to you seriously sometimes. And we've got to learn a way to be ourselves in the languages we're learning. And also like what's appropriate in different social situations. That's not something you're going to get out of a textbook. You've got to learn that by just talking to people and having your own experiences in the real world. Right. Um, That's why I always say like my focus is always on real world Spanish. Right. And, and, you know, I was going to ask you this question because, you know, people have, they have this problem where they beat themselves up because they make mistakes. And I was like, well, don't you make mistakes in your native tongue? You don't speak your native tongue 100% perfect. No one does. Um, Do you feel that people put too much emphasis on perfection when they're trying to learn learn a language specifically. I mean, they're trying to compare themselves to people like Benny Lewis and Steve Kaufman, Moses and Ollie and Richard Simcock and Alex and them. And I think people fail to realize it took them years to get to where they are. It just didn't happen overnight. Well, and I don't know that most people are comparing themselves to them. I mean, I, everyone follows different people, and especially, um, I guess it kind of depends on your social circle, but I find that a lot of people, yeah, I mean, there's a lot of polyglots on YouTube, and you watch those videos, and you feel really inadequate if you don't speak 27 languages or whatever. I mean, that that is an aspect of it. But I think most people are just finding that they're failing in things that they want to do, right? Like I had someone I was working with, they said, I went to a Mexican restaurant, I've been learning Spanish for however long now, and I... They, they spoke to me in Spanish, and for whatever reason, I responded in English, right? And I couldn't get myself to speak Spanish. Those are the types of experiences that people are having. I mean, there is some external component to it of comparing yourself to others, but I think there's a lot, people have a lot of anxiety around languages. And I think, you know, especially as an adult learner, like when you're a kid, you, you just go, oh, I'm going to make mistakes. Like everything's funny, you're having fun. Right. But when you're an adult, you feel like, okay, I'm competent. I've had some successes to prove to me that I know what I'm doing at least some of the time, right? Like, so you get to a point where you don't tolerate mistakes in yourself because you feel like you should do better, whatever should means, right? So like, you're like, oh, but I should be doing better. Um, And we don't really have a good idea of what to compare ourselves to because we look at people that are completely fluent and then we look at ourselves and we don't understand the process. So I think people are beating themselves up, one, because they're used to being competent as adults, especially just something as simple as communicating, like, I want to order food. You know, I know I've known how to do that for most of my life, right? Maybe not when I was a toddler, but at some point I could say, I want mac and cheese or, you know, I would like a taco or whatever. I don't know, whatever it is, right? Right. Um, I was thinking about the Mexican restaurant. But, you know, it's like when you feel like I can't communicate this basic thing, it really sucks your confidence out of you and it makes you feel inadequate. It makes you feel silly, makes you feel stupid. And it's not fun. Like no one wants anxiety, right? Unless you have some type of disorder that you need to go get worked out, right? Like nobody is like looking for anxiety, but anxiety comes to us. And I think that it's very uncomfortable for a lot of people to be in a situation where they feel like they can't communicate what they want to. It's very, it's, it's really disabling. And I think that that's what people run away from that's what people get get scared of that's what intimidates people it's knowing that the buck stops with me I'm responsible for how this communication goes and if I can't do it it makes me feel really really inadequate and it's a common experience and I think once we get the message out to people like Chanel through your podcast and just kind of talking and I talk about it too in my podcast learn Spanish con salsa all the time like making mistakes is just a part of the process right right um, you're not going to get it perfect. And I find that people who already have perfectionism in other areas of their life, um, and I'm pointing fingers at me too, <laughs> they, 
that it's something that just flows into language learning. So nine times out of 10, those perfectionistic language learners are not all of a sudden completely chill, like when they go talk to their kids or they when they're with their friends or when they're approaching like anything else in life. They're probably also pretty high strung there too, right? So it's not just, oh, now I'm learning a language and I'm going to all of a sudden become a perfectionist. This is usually something that I think people struggle with in other areas if they would look at it and analyze it. And I think that we would all benefit from taking ourselves a little less seriously, yeah. having a little more fun with it, and also just recognizing that they're not actually like mistakes, right? They're learning opportunities. They are part of the learning process. And as you mentioned, we don't speak our own native languages perfectly. And you probably have come across this too. I was surprised. I know the first time I got a text from a Spanish speaker and they misspelled a word that I knew how to spell. And I was like, but they're fluent in Spanish and they don't know the difference between S and Z and that, you know, or V and B like these things have the same sounds in Spanish. Right. But um, in in many dialects and they write them kind of how they sound, but they can cause a lot of misspellings when, when you do that. So I was shocked by that initially, and I felt like, wow. And then I also simultaneously realized how unimportant it is, right? It's So right. it's sort of like, but they're a native Spanish speaker, and they make spelling mistakes, but this is the only language they communicate in. So right. they're able to do it successfully. They've lived their entire lives successfully communicating in the one language that they know, and right. they're making mistakes. And guess what? It's okay. We're human, and no one's going to chastise you for that. And I always tell people, like, in our, we have a conversational course component as well as Spanish con salsa. I always say, if you're talking to someone that's going to make you feel bad about your mistakes, you probably want to talk to a different person. Because that person is probably not a person that you want to talk to, quite frankly. And you would probably find if they were a native English speaker, you wouldn't get along. Because it's just a personality issue. If someone's going to point out your flaws, unless you ask them to, right, and you're in a learning situation or a language exchange, if, if someone's just going to constantly tell you that you're wrong... Are you going to want to hang out with that person? No. <laughs> so, you know, I've had that. I've had that issue. I mean, I, I, and I remember I had left someone a message on um, WhatsApp in Spanish. Now, evidently, I don't speak Spanish like muy rápido. Fine. Yeah, fine. Um, sorry. I had to tell my guide dog to sit down. um so he basically said to me oh well i can't speak with you because you speak spanish too slow and you're visually impaired and people that are blind and visually impaired can't learn anything wow was so mad so i went off in spanish and cussed him out (laughs) (laughs) there's a motivation And lo siento, lo siento. I'm like, really? You are? You're sorry? <laughs> yeah, see, that's the thing. I mean, I think that. Um... Yeah. One second. Um, yeah, that's the thing. Like I said, I mean, if that's if that's how someone's going to communicate with you, start to learn that that's just their personality. And that's OK. Like everyone doesn't like everyone. Everyone's not for everyone. But I mean, wow, for someone to say that, that's completely rude. Right. I wouldn't I wouldn't want to talk to that person um, oh, after that. I, and in my I mean, I have friends from Colombia and Argentina and stuff. And, you know, they want to practice their Spanish or well, actually, one person studying English now in their life is um, teaching Spanish and and she is teaching English too. However, um, you know, she wants to practice her English. And so I said, we bonded over food, believe it or not. (laughs) And so I asked her about food in the US or like, what does she cook? You know, in Spanish, what does she cook? And then she tell me and I said, well, could you tell me the, the, the vocabulary for what you made, you know, how did you make it? You know, and she, she was able to tell me, and then there was words that she didn't know. And in the next week we went over that and, you know, we, she, this is the type of stuff she wanted to know because she, you know, 
you weren't going to get all this from a textbook, you know. So, and for her, she wanted to improve, you know, her speaking because she really wasn't speaking as much English as she would have liked to. You know, it was more on an academic scale. It wasn't more on a conversational social scale. So, um, yeah, we I enjoyed, you know, working with, with her and her husband, um, you know, and they were from Colombia, and I was speaking Spanish with them, and they was like, your Spanish is improving. It's so good. You know, and I was like, oh, wow. You know, I mean, it was just the stuff I learned from university, plus listening to music all the time. So for me... I guess I tell my students all the time, you know, okay, you're going to make mistakes. Understand that. Let's deal with that in, in the beginning. I make mistakes all the time in Russian grammar. It's a nightmare, but I do. And I said, it took me two years to become C1 proficient at speaking, but I did it. You know, I, I spent 18 hours a day, seven days a week for a whole year doing nothing but listening to Russian. TV. Yeah, and I think, you know, one of the things that really helps with that is it's really just a matter of confidence, right? Just having the ability to roll with your own mistakes and, again, not take yourself too seriously because if you recognize that you're going to make mistakes from the beginning and you, you speak anyway, right? Like I always tell people, so you're scared, speak anyway. So you don't feel like it, speak anyway. Because once you do that, you'll find out it wasn't as scary as you thought it was. Like human beings, we have a really good habit um, not when they're a good habit, but a very common habit of projecting like the worst possible scenario on situations. But if we actually analyze it, when it actually happens, it's not as bad as we thought it was going to be, right? Like we we create this huge thing right. in our head, but when we actually just go and just say hola, right? Like it, it the end of the world does not come, right? Like all of the all of the bad things you were forecasting don't happen. So I think that just going out there and doing it anyway is the only way to really make progress because you're not going to be able to correct your mistakes if you never make them. You right. know, you won't even know what your mistakes are if you don't even try. So always just emphasize that to just try, you know. And I think, too, just like one of the great things about learning with music and a lot of folks in Spanish consulta tell me it's like, the fun part of it is you just get to sing along, right? Like, so I'm that person who, like, I do not have a good singing voice, so do not put me on the spot. But if I'm in my car and I'm listening to one of my favorite songs, I will be singing along. And that's actually what helps you improve your, your pronunciation because you're singing along. You're practicing without it feeling like you're studying. You're just kind of getting that in. But, like, it's natural. It's what we do as human beings when we like something, we want to join in. Um, and when you have music as your backdrop for that, you can practice your pronunciation all day long and no one has to hear you if you're in the shower, in your house or in your car. So that's one of the great things that um, that I really do enjoy. And just kind of as we wrap up, because I have to run, um, I have another uh, another call. Um, I really just want to encourage people to do what you love. Right. So when you're learning a language, I think sometimes we feel like we need the fastest approach or the, the we're looking for a hacks or like the way to, to get it done right away or whatever it is. And I think that if we approach it like we do other things in life and just look at what is it that I love to do? Right. Like for me, I fell in love with dancing, which meant I also fell in love with the music, um, right. which meant I fell in love with the language. So it really just became about me doing the things that I felt um, that felt good to me, that I that I wanted to do, that I liked, which is why I learned Caribbean Spanish. But if you were to drop me off in the middle of Guadalajara, I would probably have struggled to like understand Mexican slang because it just hasn't been something that I've been interested in. And that's okay. You're not going to ever learn everything. Um, and I always tell people too, like I give this example um, when I work with folks, I say, I give them a, an excerpt from like a, a medical journal in English. And I have them read it. And I say, did you understand all of that? And nine times out of 10, the answer is no, because it's technical jargon or it's very specific words that they don't know because they don't know about the pancreas or whatever it is. Right. And yeah. I'll say, so does that mean that you're not fluent in English? And they'll kind of think, huh, because there's an infinite universe of words and concepts and, and contexts, right, of things to learn. And you are just not in your lifetime as a human going to learn everything it's not possible and it's also not it's it's not feasible like why would you want to do that so you've got to follow your passions and your interests and focus your learning around that 
which is why, you know, people, people that love music and even people that don't, because music is frankly addictive and it's everywhere. But people yeah. that love music really do well learning Spanish with music. And it's not a secret. It's because they love what they're doing. So that it, it doesn't matter if they're at it for four months or, or for the rest of their lives, because it's something that they love to do okay. and they're in love with the process. So I always say you've got to find something that you love follow your passion and make that a part of your daily life and the rest will take care of itself. Yeah, I, I truly do agree with that 100%. Um, thank you for coming on the show. I appreciate it. I know that the first time it was crazy with all the tech and. Oh no. Yeah. Thanks for having me. This has been fun. And um, just want to let folks know if you're, interested in learning more about learning Spanish with music, I do have some free re resources available on learnspanishconsalsa.com. Um, that's also where you'll find the podcast every week um, as well, or you can search wherever you're listening to this podcast. I should be available there as well if you just look for Learn Spanish Con Salsa. Um, and yeah, also on Instagram at Learn Spanish Con Salsa. I always post like um, different things to help you learn and practice your Spanish. Um, is well there. So there's a lot of free resources available. Um, and if you're interested in learning with music or you want to kind of know how we do it in our community, um, definitely reach out to me on Instagram. You can send me a DM. Um, I do respond to all my messages um, as soon as I can. So I'd love to hear from anyone who's interested in Spanish and as specifically how we learn with music and how we do it efficiently so you don't waste a lot of time. Right. Well, thank you so much. I, I'm going to have to find you on Instagram. I am on Instagram. Now, so. Thank you for having me. It's been fun. Yeah, okay. Bye-bye.